Good morning, DC family. Welcome to another edition of the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast. We are back after a three-game road stretch for the Wizards, in which they went one and two, which is what we predicted record-wise, although we uh, did not exactly get the games correct in terms of wins and losses. Um, As always, this podcast is brought to you by DMV Sports Network, your number one source for sports at the collegiate, local, and professional level in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. You can find us on Twitter at DMVSN. Excuse me, DMVS, DMV underscore SN in all caps. Sorry about that. I am one of your co-hosts, Frank. I am joined today by Brandon. Brandon, how's life? It's great. Can't complain, except for the Wizards, but we'll get into that. Right. That is a good segue. So as I mentioned, the Wizards went one and two on their road stretch. They lost to the Boston Celtics by a score of 140 to 133 in a pretty high-scoring affair, and they bounced back on Friday with a victory over the Minnesota Timberwolves, avenging their loss to the Timberwolves earlier in the season. Uh, Andrew Wiggins did not play for Minnesota, but the Wizards were able to win 137-116 to before dropping the third game in the road stretch to the Orlando Magic, 125-121. to so, Brennan, from what you saw over these three games, anything stand out to you? Were you encouraged or discouraged by anything in particular? You know, I'll give them credit where it's due. The offense has been good. You know, everyone's getting involved, shooting, scoring. It's been great. But overall, I mean, again, it's just it's beating a dead horse at this point. The problem with this team since Scott Brooks has got here is the defense. And um, it wasn't any different over, you know, the stretch of games there. So um, I would say more discouraged than encouraged. Yeah, so I guess if there is one silver lining from uh, not just the season in particular, but this stretch specifically is any concerns over Bradley Beal's shooting or quote-unquote slump earlier in the season, you can Goodbye. basically put yeah, you can basically put that by the wayside as his shoot, he scored 44 points in back-to-back games against the Celtics and Timberwolves, and then he scored 34 against the Orlando Magic. He's now a narrow third in the league in scoring at 30.1 points per game. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo is second in the league at 30.3, so you can basically say he's tied for second in the league in scoring. Um, So do you think that, you know, this offensive tear that he's on so far this season, I mean, last year he averaged, what, 26, 27 points? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, as the lone... You know, sco- I won't say lone scoring option, but as the primary scoring option on this team, do you think that it's possible he could hover around 30 points per game or somewhere in that area for the rest of the season? Or do you think that uh, he might fall back down to earth a bit? Um, well, I guess, I mean, I would kind of say maybe around that, like maybe 27, 28 points a game. I could see, you know, that being possible, but I do think that to some extent it'll come down just because I mean some of the shots he's been making is absolutely incredible but however I mean he's been picking his own spots and kind of doing whatever he wants and no one has any answers but I think when teams start to key on him later in the season when the wins start to matter a little bit more and um, you know we'll see if the bench players can still make shots but uh, again the, the, the really the only guys out there that can go get a bucket is like Jordan McRae Beal and then I, I guess maybe Isaiah Thomas and Mo Wagner a little bit and oh, really, really, I can't forget really, but it, none of them are on like you know a star level, so yeah, definitely. Uh, 
I think that the level of talent, you know, again, teams may key on him and that may play a factor, but um, I mean, Bradley's been good, so it's not a knock on him at all, but I do think it'll come down a bit. Yeah, probably, but I mean, even if it comes down a bit, I mean, the fact that he's still putting up these numbers, I know it's early in the season, but the fact that he's scoring at this rate with this type of efficiency when he is the primary option, like defenses, it's easy for a defense to key in on Beal and just let other players beat you. And regardless of that, he's still managing to put up these just absurd numbers like all across the board. Um, I guess a good question is like from what you've seen from him, obviously we know what kind of player he is, but it seems like he's still improving and like there's still room to improve for him. I mean, his numbers are up from last year. So if you could pinpoint one area of Beal's game that you still think could stand to improve, not necessarily significantly, but at least a little bit, um, I have my thoughts on this, but I'm going to let you go first. Where where do you think Beal could improve from here on out? We talked about this briefly, but his free throw shooting needs to improve. It's not good for someone who should be shooting. I mean, a realistic expectation around 86, 87%, in my opinion. And then... um, Yeah, he's at 81.7% for for the year on free throw line. Yeah. And, I mean, really at this point, you're just kind of nitpicking because I think in all three phases of, you know, scoring levels, I think he's been pretty decent, but... Um, his finishing ability, I mean, I guess could get a little bit better. And then um, I guess his spot-up three-point shooting, because he's made some good threes this year, but they've been kind of contested. When he's had opportunities to make open threes, like there have been several times when he just hasn't hit them. I'm not saying he has to hit every one, but, you know, um, some of those shots there, if he makes those, I mean, you're talking about, you know, um, maybe winning that game. And I know he made some incredible shots against the Magic. Um, you know, to close the game there that the Wizards should have won. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess spot up. But didn't win. Yeah, but didn't, so. Yeah, so I think you made some good points. What I was going to harp on is his late game, like his execution late in the game in clutch moments, and I feel like this has been a talking point for Bill's career like the last few years. It still still feels like he's just not like the most natural scorer when the game is in the last few minutes. Like, his decision-making can be iffy at times. And I feel like we kind of expected him to develop in a, as a better late-game closer as he is right now. What, what do you think goes into that? Because obviously the dude can score the ball at will, but it seems like late in the game sometimes his scoring kind of falters or his decision-making falters. Like, Do you think that's an area that he could actually reasonably improve on? Or do you think that based on what we've seen from him as a clutch player thus far, he kind of just is what he is? Yeah, I think it's more of just he is what he is at this point. Um, His ball handling has improved a lot throughout his career, but I don't think it's at that level where, um, you know, I think at the end of the game when he's looking to get shots, like sometimes he makes like a decent move and doesn't quite get separation and ends up throwing up a contested shot. And, um, you know, his passing always hasn't been the best. You know, they have some costly turnovers sometimes. So I think that that stuff, I think, unfortunately, he just kind of – it is what it is. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to say he won't improve because you can never, like, 100% tell. But, I mean, I would definitely lean towards, you know, that's just the kind of player he is at this point. And Wall's the same way. So, 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you take the good with the bad. It's hard to really, like you said, at this point, it's just nitpicking when the dude's averaging 30 points and seven assists on like 46% from the field. It's just nitpicking the, the little things. But um, you talked a little bit about his spot-up shooting, which you said could be an area to improve on. And he's only shooting 33.3% on threes this year. Obviously, it's not all spot-up. I don't have those numbers right in front of me. But um, it feels like as his career has gone on, like he entered the league as a primarily a spot up shooter. And that's that's what he was the first few years alongside John Wall. And but it feels like as his career has progressed, he's gotten a significantly better at everything else. But if there's one area of his game that's kind of taken a bit of a dip is his three point shooting percentage. And you can probably attribute some of that to taking more difficult shots in Wall's absence and just taking on a greater offensive role overall. But just looking forward, like, when John Wall does come back eventually, and it's hard to project exactly what's going to happen, but what kind of – do you think it's going to be, like, a significant adjustment for Beal to transition maybe back into more of an off-ball role versus what he is now? Maybe, but but that's the dilemma, right? Because when John Wall comes back, we know in the past he hasn't been that good off-ball. So if you still want to give – Bradley Beal the ball, who will still be the best scorer when John Wall comes back. You have to have a plan for John Wall. And if you want John Wall with the ball in his hand, then Bradley Beal has to find something to do, you know, and take more of that, you know, again, like you said, off-ball role. So um, I don't know what the plan's going to be there, but I'm, I'm sure they'll figure it out one way or another. They don't hate playing with each other. That's been debunked. But um, Ted did say, I guess, in an interview earlier today that I was reading that he doesn't think that John Wall will be back this year. Right. So, um, I mean, you make of that what you will. I mean, he could surprise everyone and be back in February and, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, while we're on the subject, I mean, I don't know if you saw, but I think in the game against Boston pregame, Wall was literally dunking in the pregame layup lines. Were you able to catch that? He was, like, throwing down with ease. Yeah, I don't understand, like... And of course, I'm not a doctor, and I may sound like an idiot here, but it's like, what are you, like, is the recovery time thing, is a lot of it just, like, you want to give it more time to heal or whatever? Because if you look physically able to go, like, I'm not sure what the, you know, what the math is on that to say, no, he needs to sit out until this time. Because, like, physically, if you're able to go and you're doing all this stuff, and I'm not saying, you know, going out there and doing warm-up dunks is like you know it means that you're ready to go but like do you right. know what i'm saying yeah i mean there's a difference between dunking in a layup lines with no defenders versus actually playing game speed in five-on-five situations against nba defenders but yeah, yeah. it's a little weird to see him like i feel like if he's really not that far along in his recovery that it's not the best thing for him to be dunking and doing moves like that where he's falling on his right, so thing. much pressure on his legs. Yeah, but, like, I mean, seeing stuff like that, it definitely makes you hopeful that he could potentially return sooner than later. But at the same time, I mean, if he does, if he does need to sit out the whole year, I mean, that's probably best for him and for the team. But, like, if you had to put a percentage chance, I mean, obviously, like you said, we're not doctors, but just based on your gut feeling, like, what percentage chance do you think that we could potentially see him towards the end of the season? I'll say 15-20, and I know things look bad right now, but I can still very easily see this team getting back into the playoff picture. So if they're at the end of the season and, they're, and they, you know, 
are in a playoff spot or if they're trying to chase one, you know, lock one up. I mean, I could definitely see him, you know, expediting his, you know, um, return. So, uh, you know, John Wall's type of guy, if he has, if he's, you know, if he can be cleared by anyone, if a fan walks by and tells him, you know, you're good to go, like John Wall's going to go out there and play, you know? And, and no one's stopping him. Like No one's stopping him. Which, you know, is not the best thing in the world, you know, God bless him. But uh, they just need to take it smart. But if it's technically a thing where he's able to go and his body's good enough and, uh, you know, it's the Achilles has recovered, then, uh, I mean, yeah, why not see him out there? But if they want to give him the recovery time, you know, the team is, you know, looking like they are right now. And eh, just sit out because what's the point? Yeah, I mean... Ideally, you'd like for him to get some experience in, bef- like some game experience in before the end of the year. Because you got to yeah, think, maybe. the last time he played, this group of guys that is on the team now, it's a totally different group of players than he's accustomed to playing with. So, But I think a better one. Yeah, I mean, you could argue talent-wise, and they're definitely more young and athletic, but it's, it's different. It's going to be different for Wall playing a lot. I mean, obviously, Beal is still there. But off the top, isn't of it head, weird that they're like the old guys now? Like it's really weird. Yeah, it is weird. Like if you just if, think back, they were the young guys, and now they're you, in just totally different roles. If you take away what Jan Mahimi and C.J. Miles, is he the oldest? I guess. Oh, I guess it's Smith. Uh, well, what? Is Wall, to... Wall's twenty nine, right? Is he yeah, and I think Beal is like what twenty seven, twenty eight. So. I think Beal's 27 and Wall's 29. I think Wall just – because Wall's birthday is over the summer, I think, isn't it? It's like July um, or something. No, it's actually – it's in September. I just pulled it up. I'm not oh, – okay. I don't know that off the top of my head. That'd be a little weird, yeah. but I just looked it up and yeah. it's in September. So yeah. he is the fifth oldest player on the roster behind – you mentioned the three guys, Mahimi, CJ Miles, Ishmith, and then there's Isaiah Thomas, who's 30. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then Beal is behind Wall – Jordan McRae is 28, and Davos Bertans is 27. Yeah, so, you got to figure when Miles and Mahimi and all that come back, like, Wall may legit, like, be the oldest player on the team next year. That's crazy. Yeah, and it's a role he's, you know, he's not accustomed to being the oldest guy on the team because between Ariza, Paul Pierce, Gortat, you know, all throughout the years, there's been these veteran guys to kind of bring him and Beal along. But now it's it's going to be him and Beal are the old heads and everyone else is going to be in their second or third year, so it's going to be on them to shoulder the leadership load. And Beal's talked about that, you know, all throughout the offseason into this season, that uh, he he kind of flourishes or he embraces taking on the leadership role. So, I mean, that's pretty cool, but we'll Well, this is Well, that's going to be part of it. Like, this is going to be their last shot at something. If right. they cannot put something together um, in this, whenever they have a full year of Wall and Beal together, if it is not working one of them is going to go. I don't know who it's going to be. Hell, it may be both of them. But And especially like as a fan of the Wizards, I don't want them to keep trying something that just simply hasn't worked if they can't get it to work this next time. You know, the only way I could justify it going forward is if next year, if they have like a really, really tough second round or if they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like that is legit the only way. I'm saying that they should run it back. If they're like a first round exit or something, they need to, or they simply just don't make the playoffs. Like they got to break it up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be it's hard to project what the future holds with this team and this core. But uh, 
we'll just have to wait and see. But there's a lot of question marks more than there are certainties, I would say, uh, like you mentioned. But uh, one player I do want to talk about is Mo Wagner, my boy. He has been quite a surprise this season, maybe not to me because of what I've seen from him throughout his career, but to most casual fans, um, no one really expected Mo Wagner to perform like this. Um, right now in the season, he's averaging 12.7 points, 5.6 rebounds, which are solid numbers, especially for a backup center. And his shooting percentages really stand out. Um, from the field, he's shooting 63%. And from three, he's shooting 48%, which is just crazy on two and a half attempts. And on at the free throw line, he's hitting at an 81% clip. Um, the biggest game that he's had so far this season was against the Timberwolves two games ago. And he was just a key catalyst down the stretch. He scored 30 career high 30 points. He grabbed 15 rebounds. He had a steal on a block and he was a plus 18. He only missed two shots from the field. He had 13 or 15 shots and he hit all four of his three point attempts. Um, Brennan, what have you seen so far from Mo Wagner that's impressed you the most? And it's probably an obvious answer. And um, there's been some fans or some some of Wizards Twitter that has begun calling for him to maybe start over Thomas Bryant at center. And Bryant hasn't been terrible by any means, but he's been a little up and down with this play. Um, so why don't you just touch on that a little bit and uh, give me your take on uh, that idea. Oddly enough, I think that the thing that's impressed me about Mo Wagner enough, I know a lot of people are probably going to say the way he's shooting the ball, but I'm just going to say the way he's getting his shots in general because he's shown the ability to score from the post. Um, he can take people off the dribble. Obviously, he has a decent set shot from three. Um, you know, he can pick and pop. He can pick and roll. He can kind of just do it all. So um, I've been pretty impressed with that. In terms of starting, um, I don't think that they should do that because I still think that if they're both on their A game like 100%, I would still take Thomas Bryant as of right now. Thomas Bryant was paid to be the starter. And yeah, he's had a little bit of a rough stretch. But, you know, I mean, what player eventually in their career doesn't go through a rough stretch? And he's still a relatively young player. Um, you know, this is only like he's really only had what? a half a year last year of getting decent playing time. And even then, like Scott Brooks did not play him sometimes. Like he would have a 30 point game next game, 16 minutes. Like, so which was ridiculous. So Thomas is still also getting used to the minute load because he's got unlimited minutes, like an energy player. And I, you know, one, that was one of the things I was looking for with him this year was, is he still going to keep that energy up uh, this year? And he's done that so far, but his shooting has been off. Um, You know, he's, taken some questionable shots but um I, I think he'll eventually come around because i mean he's a hard worker he plays really hard right. it's hard not to root for those types of guys and the same thing for wagner i'm not saying wagner's not like that but just from the passion that we saw from thomas bryant last year in a lost season it gave me hope that that's a guy that's going to go out there and compete every night so um uh, i'm really pulling for him and you know i'm a big fan of his i'm probably the number one fan of his actually so and it's like, what are you saying, or what what would you do to a, a player's confidence like Thomas Bryant if you just sit him on the bench and relegate him to another backup role like he played for some of last season? Like, what are you doing to his confidence after a so-so start? Like, it's not like he's been really that bad by any means. No, just, no. I feel like we, we should temper, as you know, Wizards fans collectively, we got to remember that this dude is 22 years old. 
he's he's a full-time starting center for the first time in his career with little playing experience like there's going to be there's going to be ups and downs and there's going to be bumps in the road but i mean at the end of the day having him in mo wagner on the depth chart regardless is that that's a good thing like if wagner's coming off the bench that's fine because you see how well he's played in that role so far this year and if you suddenly just thrust him in against starting centers it's reasonable to assume that his numbers may drop off a bit. Um, yeah, and- people got to remember that too. Like the reason Wagner's been playing so well in part is because for the majority of his playing time, he's been going up against backups. You know, yeah, and, and he he's had good moments against starters. I'm not saying like all of his stuff is against backups. And, you know, he's been a guy that Scott Brooks occasionally likes to keep in there late um, in games. But um, yeah, I mean, just like Thomas Bryant, you know, when teams get the scouting report on you and stuff, like your numbers are just going to drop because neither of them are like top five centers in the NBA or anything, you know? Yeah. And they're weak. They're not very strong. Yeah, it's true. And like having the presence of Wagner off the bench, ultimately I think that it can only help Brian because, you know, it takes some pressure off of him to really produce and, and do what he does. I mean, I, that's just a good one, two punch in my opinion to have on the center position. It's probably Um, one of the best in the league, to be honest. Yeah, especially in terms of versatility and, you know, offensive skill set. Um, I guess if you want to say anything, Brian is averaging about 29 minutes a game and Wagner is coming in around 18 or 19 minutes. So maybe that gap could close a little. But, I mean, I feel like if Brooks has done anything right so far, the the minute allocation at the center spot is probably – it's pretty solid in my opinion. I don't, I don't think you need to change much there. Um, is, that, is that how you feel on it pretty much too? Yeah. I mean, eventually I would like to – I mean, 29 minutes is probably about right for Thomas Bryant, I would say. So, um, you know, 27 to 30 minutes was about where I was projecting him this year. So, um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and if you just look at his numbers, like on the surface, you wouldn't think he's really having a bad season at all. I mean, he's scoring around 14.5 points a game. He's grabbing nine rebounds. He's still shooting efficient from the field. He's around 52%. Um, Still hitting his free throws at a decent rate, and his blocks are up. I guess it's just like the in-game consistency that people are really harping on. It seems like, obviously, the effort's there, but his offensive-defensive consistency just comes and goes, I mean, here and there. Is that really what you've seen from it as well? Yeah, and I will say this. Like, people got to help him, bro. Like, when Thomas Bryan is stuck by himself on the perimeter or guards aren't fighting around screens, and then Isaiah Thomas has the nerve to, like, tell him to do something when IT isn't doing a lick of anything on the defensive end. Like, that frustrated me a little bit the other night in the Magic game. Like, Bryant was, uh, you know, a little lost, confused out there, and Beal was coaching him up, and I was fine with that. But then, you know, you see Isaiah Thomas not giving a crap and then saying, like, you know, something to Thomas Bryant. I'm like, dude, shut up, man. You know, we'll get into Isaiah Thomas, and I'm not saying I hate IT. But that was just one of the things that bothered me. Yeah, it's but just point, the criticism. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I just the, the point that I'm trying to make is that Thomas may look a little bit bad defensively, especially in the pick and roll situations. But you cannot blame that all on him. It is not his fault. Yeah, you obviously got to look at the personnel around him. I mean, that plays a big part in uh, how good or bad he's going to look on the defensive end. But um, yeah, I mean, just circling back to Wagner and. Basically, we got to remember the Wizards acquired him in a trade for essentially nothing. I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, did they give up any? They just gave up cash to the Lakers, right, to get him, Jones, and Bonga, or did they give up a draft pick? 
Yeah, I think it was just cash or um, something like that. Yeah, they didn't give up a pick yeah. or anything. So, I mean, based on what you've seen so far from Wagner and then I guess Bonga a little at the beginning of the season, like, is it fair to say that was a steal of a trade done by Tommy Shepard? I think so. And the thing about it, too, is if, you know, Wagner keeps playing well, and eventually you're going to have to pay him one would imagine. So if you can't afford two centers on your payroll, then I guess you could probably either try and trade Thomas Bryant for a pick, or you could try and trade Mo Wagner, who at this point, I mean, would most certainly warrant, I think, a first-round pick. So, um, you know, just something to keep in mind. I'm not trying to get too ahead of myself, and I like both players, and I hope they both stick around. But it's just something realistically, you know, you got to think about down the line. So. Yeah, no, you're right. And, uh, I mean, obviously we'll cross that bridge when it comes. But uh, for now, I mean, I definitely, the Lakers, I don't want to say they gave up on these on Wagner, but with the direction they were heading, they didn't need his services. He wasn't going to get minutes. And the Wizards were interested in drafting him originally in the first round, but they ultimately didn't. And I think this is kind of should be the formula for Shepard in the front office going forward is to take flyers on young players that are not getting an opportunity with their current team. And if you put them in the right system and give them an opportunity and give them minutes in the rotation, I mean, you can reap the benefits. And I think we're seeing that right now with Wagner and uh, to a lesser extent, Bonga when he was starting earlier in the year. Um, But basically if we're circling back to the team as a whole and what they've done so far this season, after the first four or five games, they were on a, a torrid offensive pace and, we talked briefly about after the first four or five games whether or not the pace was sustainable, and we weren't really sure. But now, as we move further into the schedule, the Wizards are still performing very well offensively. They're number one in the league in offensive rating. They're third in points per game at 118. And with that, they still have a three and eight record. Are you, I mean, is it fair to take some solace in the fact that they're playing so well offensively or? Do you think it really doesn't matter that much because they're still not winning games? I mean, it's cool, but again, they're not winning, so anything they do really doesn't matter. Well, like, it's not significant because you can either say, well, I mean, obviously the defense is a problem, but if you want to be an offensive team and that's what you want to do, then you got to score the ball more. And they're, and they're obviously not scoring enough, you know, more than the opponent to win the game. You, know, you got to score more points than the opponent. That's the key here. So, um, yep, that's you know, basketball 101. Yeah. So, you got to score more points than your opponent to win the game. That's right. See, not a lot of people know that. And the people that have been out there trying to, like, I'm not going to say baby them or patronize them, but, like, yeah, the offense is cool, but you got to start winning games at some point. So I, I don't care what you do. I want to see wins. I don't care how you win, but I want to see wins. Just like every Just most win, every baby. fan out there. Just win, baby. I don't blindly support my teams if I think that they're doing something stupid or wrong. I mean, are you surprised by how well they've done offensively? I mean, for me, I was not expecting them to score this much and be this efficient. But, I mean, then again, if you look up and down the roster, almost every guy they have is an offensive first guy. Like, he's an offensive-minded player. So does it surprise you at all how well they're doing? It surprises me that teams are leaving shooters open. It it surprises me that way. And, you know, I'm not saying the Wizards have, like, some cupcake offense because, obviously, I mean, it's pretty good. But, like, at times, like – Teams are just leaving guys open. Like, if you let guys beat you off the dribble and try to do something inside, I don't think the Wizards would be that great. But you have a decent shot creator like Bradley Beal out there who is basically doing everything, and it's just making it easier for everyone else to get shots. So, um, 
I mean, again, I think if we see them key in on Beal or if teams do a better job of guarding the perimeter, um, you know, I think our scoring will go down. But the Wizards have also done a good job. I mean, you got to give them credit off a miss or a make. I mean, they're trying to run the break because that's what they got to do because they really don't have a ton of half-court scores. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be a bad defensive team, which the Wizards are, at least, at the very least, it's, it's good to develop an identity, I guess, as a fast-paced three-point shooting team. I mean, if you're going to lose or if you're going to give up a lot of points, at least they're scoring enough points to keep them in games for the most part. But, yeah, I mean, until the defense comes around or if it comes around at all, which you and I it pretty won't. much aren't, aren't hopeful, um, you're going to see the same result, I think. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, that pretty much sums it up. Um, one thing I did want to touch on, which I forgot to bring up last episode, um, so on November 11th, Nick Wright, the host of um, First Things First on Fox mm-hmm. Sports 1, mm-hmm. he kind of set, I don't want to say set Wizard Twitter on fire, but he kind of put some, put some debate into the, the Twitter sphere. He uh, made an interesting point talking about the Rams after they had just lost to the Steelers and dropped to 5-4. and four. He compared the Rams quarterback Jared Goff to John Wall saying, Direct quote here, what John Wall is to the Washington Wizards is what Jared Goff is about to be the Los Angeles Rams, an anchor around their neck that brings them to mediocrity. Uh, I guess what he basically was trying to say is that because both players have extremely high contracts that it's going to hurt the team more than their performance will help the team, I guess. Uh, did you have any take on, on this, what he said? Um, in, in all fairness, I really don't want to comment. Uh, on that so not to sound like a reporter or like a, a gm or anything but i have no desire to comment that if you have any thoughts you can go ahead but i'm going to keep it to myself no i mean uh, i guess uh yeah that pretty much sums it up it's just a weird comparison to make in my opinion like why why go and attack john wall or even bring his name into the conversation has nothing to do with him right he's not even playing like right like you could have just said jared goff is not good and, like you could have just let it go yeah, and then I, Wall kind of clapped back at him on Twitter a little bit. I think he just said, like, LOL, you fun, you're a funny guy or something. I don't know. He's an easy target. I don't know why he's such an easy target to media and stuff, but, I mean, my God. I mean, the, I, I will say this about John Wall. For as much crap as people may give him, and God knows I get frustrated with him. I'm sure you get frustrated with us sometimes, but this has been the most loyal athlete that we have ever seen in a Wizards uniform. And he has came back from injury countless times. He came back right before the playoffs and averaged a double-double with, what, like 27 points and like 11 or 12 assists or something like What was it? Maybe 10 assists? I don't know. Either yeah. way, it was a pretty good double-double. And so for people to continue to, like, you know, question his character at this point and all that and say, well, he hasn't earned the money. I mean, he has, whether people want to view it that way or not. John Wall has earned. Every penny of his contract, we may get frustrated with it. Um, you know, the, is his talent worth that money and all that? I mean, I'll leave that for other people to debate. But I think just what he means to the city and what he means to the fans and to the team alone over, I mean, really since he's been here, I mean, I don't think it's right for anyone to just randomly question anything about him. Yeah, and it's like, why, why even, where's the need to even make that comparison? Like. He could have easily bounced. He's just grasping for straws. And there is a clear difference is that Jerry Goff is actually playing 
and like he's on the field performing at a certain level, whereas John Wall is not playing because he's injured. And you can't predict injuries. Like when Wall got that Supermax deal extension, he, I mean, it's hard to argue that he didn't deserve it at that based on his performance up to that point. It's not like he's purposely getting injured or purposely not. It's not like he doesn't want to be out there with his guys. I mean, I don't know. It's yeah. just, it's, it's dumb and frustrating at this point to just see, see stuff like that. Um, but I mean, I think we're used to it now as, as Wizards fans. We're pretty much used to it, but it's still, it's still annoying every once in a while when that stuff happens. Yeah, but, definitely. Um, moving away from that, I guess we will go ahead and preview the upcoming stretch. Where the Wizards are? Uh, do looking. we have to? We'll just do it real quickly because I'm pretty sure uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to go uh, both way, similar ways for both of us. Um, okay. So their next three games are at home against the Spurs, at home Oof. against the Charlotte Hornets, and Oof. at home against the Sacramento Kings on Sunday. Oof. Um, oh Spurs, God! Is it an afternoon game? It's a six o'clock game. Uh. <laughs> Uh, the Spurs are actually five and nine, I think, right now. They're on like a four, five or six game losing streak after a decent start. Um, yeah. But I still, I, I don't bet against the Spurs like ever, even if it's a regular season game. Um, yeah. But this is the I'll home stretch. Loss. This is a home stretch here after a tough road stretch. So, I mean, ideally you pick up two of three wins, but I mean, how do you see this playing out? Um, let's see. You said home against San Antonio. Um have that as well. and then uh home oh, against that, the hornets after that uh, and then hornets, the man uh, these are two teams where it's like it's comparable talent and you expect the wizards to win but they have not shown that they're supposed to beat these teams that they're expected to win. um and it's it's fair to point out that the hornets are actually six and eight this year they have some decent wins they've actually been a surprisingly competent this is so hard. Um, I'm going to hate myself, but I'll take the Wizards <laughs> against the Hornets and the Kings. So, both games? Yeah. You have them winning back-to-back? Yeah. <laughs> That's like the least confident prediction I've ever heard in my life. This is a very tricky team. The definition of be- begrudgingly confident. Um, yeah. I'll go one and two. I think they can probably beat the Hornets. I mean, I know, like I said, the Hornets have been decent this year, but nothing about their roster inspires me whatsoever. But I like the Spurs and I like the Kings. So I don't really see the Wizards winning either of those games. But it wouldn't be surprising to see them go 0-3 on this stretch, which we've basically said about every stretch so far this season. So um, we'll see what happens. But it really wouldn't surprise me if they went 3-0 because, I mean, again, they're – but outside of the Spurs, not really great teams, and the Spurs have been kind of lacking. So if they continue to lack, the Wizards do what they're supposed to do and, um, you know, take care of these, you know, maybe some would argue same-tier teams, maybe the Wizards slightly above, maybe above me, whatever, they're terrible. So if they take care of that, I mean, I mean, they could very easily come out of this 3-0. and But I'll take 2-1-1, on regrettingly, probably, of course. You'll take He's one on the two. record. He is on the record. We got to keep um, track of this because I wonder what like we're compared to. We have to go back and look at this, and the next time when we make our picks, we can say where we're at. Yeah, we will. We got to write them down or something. But uh, I don't think we've been that different though, so it's probably pretty close. Yeah. Um. So after this three-game home stretch, the Wizards are going out west on the road for a five-game, excuse me, four-game road 
road stretch. So let me read you off these teams. Um, oh, no. You don't have to make a prediction, but this is a uh, this is not looking good. So okay. oh god, okay. So they play at Denver. Ooh. At Phoenix. Ah. Kelly Oubre revenge game. Then they play at the Lakers and at oh, no. the Clippers. So oh, that is. Oh no. You're looking probably at 0-4 there, but obviously we'll get into that next week or whatever. But uh, Yeah, because if they play well this week, it'll probably give me a little bit of confidence. I won't end up saying something stupid like 3-1, and one, so let's give it time. Yeah, but needless to say, if if they do go 3-0, and oh, or if they have any chance of being competitive um, heading into December, they need to win some of these games here um, that we just went over. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll just see what happens. Uh, anything else you want to touch on or plug before we head out? Fire Scott Brooks. Fire Scott Brooks, indeed. Uh, be sure to follow us on our podcast account, guys, at D-O-G-P, in all caps, underscore podcast. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Frank JP in all caps, the number zero. Brennan, you want to plug your Twitter real quick? Threes of Strice, y'all. Give me a follow. Yep. Uh, so that's all for this episode. We'll be back next week. I will leave you on one note is Lamar Jackson is the NFL MVP. Yes, he is, buddy. Hey, QB1, brother, I tried to tell people. That's all I'm going to say. That's all we're going to say. All right, guys, peace. See ya.